Well, we are celebrating Palm Sunday this morning. Anybody knows what that means? This is a day to celebrate and rejoice. Amen? You guys awake out there? Good morning. All right, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about um, this idea of no, this hashtag no filter Jesus last week for this. And really, we've been examining Jesus Christ in a manner of trying to just strip back all the different ideas that are out there and say, you know what, there's a lot of ways people have approached Christ. There's a lot of ways to look at him. But what we want to do is just take the scriptures straightforwardly. And the, re, the way we're doing that is we've been examining the book of Colossians in this series. And so... Really what's happened is that this is a small church, a young church. It's about, I don't know, eight years old of a church. And the, and the idea in this church has been that they've, they've not really grown up spiritually very, very well yet. And as they have begun to, to grow, there's been this false teacher that's moved into town and started preaching this false gospel and this false information about how to have the presence of God. And so we've been looking at the idea that the solution to this issue is to have a focus on Jesus Christ. Now, really, what better day to, to end the focus of Jesus Christ and talk about what he's done than Palm Sunday? And for those of you guys who don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's actually um, the first day of the Holy Week leading up to Easter in which Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, hey, guys, there's this donkey out there. I want you to go get that guy. Bring him here. And he saddled up the donkey with a couple of robes and, and garments, got on and started riding up the hill and down the Mount of Olives towards the entrance to Jerusalem. And as he's traveling down, people are getting excited. People are so pumped up. They're pulling off their, their outer garments, their robes. They're throwing them on the street in front of Jesus. They're climbing up, pulling off palm fronds off of trees and throwing them on the ground to give Jesus this way, this direction. Now, last night we, we celebrated um, uh, Palm Sunday, but we called it uh, Palm Tree Saturday because the palms were still up on, on the palm trees. And so we, we talked about the fact that they would cut them down, bring them down. And, and I don't know if these were somebody else's trees, but they're just grabbing whatever they could, laying it in front of Jesus, getting excited about him coming. People are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Praise the king, of praise to David, the son of David, the king. And they're shouting these things and kids are dancing. It's just Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. And you're like, Pharisees are looking at him going, don't do that. And kids are like, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. You know, so it's this whole, you know, it's this whole bedlam scene. They're like, Jesus, make these people stop. And he's like, hey, if I make them stop, the rocks are going to cry out. This is supposed to be a day of joy and celebration about Jesus as the king. And I just wonder, you know, what would get you to the point you would be dancing in a street. You'd be tearing down your neighbor's palm tree branches to throw it in front of you. You'd be stripping off your shirt and running around your wife beater to throw it in front of Jesus. What, what would get you to that place? that you are celebrating Christ and you are exalting him with ridiculous joy. You know, I think it's, it's like low-hanging fruit to realize some of us do that for a football team, right? You get all pumped up, you get dressed up, you decorate it in the uniform that you don't actually own because you bought it from a souvenir store. You start shouting for your team, your baseball team, your, your football team. Maybe it's, not a, maybe it's not a sports team, but some of you guys are out there and you're dressing up for Star Wars. You're getting in line. You look like a Jedi. You've picked a side and you are, you are waiting for that movie to come out. There are things that get us pumped up about life and get pumped up. Maybe your children just got married. And they, or maybe you just got married or your friend did. And they just said, I want to present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. And off they go down the aisle. And you're like, yeah, you're shouting and cheering. The reception, they come in and dancing. And you're excited for them. Maybe you've just had your first kid or your first grandchild. I mean, these are moments that produce joy, don't they? And so the reason I'm bringing these out is for all of you who have Anglo-Saxon European backgrounds, we need to hear this because we all understand that you're not supposed to let that out. 
Joanne's supposed to stay inside, and you can see it when I do this. I'm an Englishman. We don't have joy. We're not going to celebrate. And let alone if you're German, you're just like, this is not funny. You know, that's uh, the, the problem is if you've got that background, you don't got that joy, man. If, if you've got a Latin background, you guys have joy all over the place. If, you have a, if you're an African-American, you guys got joy all over the place. And it comes out. That's why people are like, what are they doing? You know, this is a time to celebrate Jesus. This is a time to let your joy out. This is a time to celebrate him because we've been looking at who Jesus is. Paul's already told the church, this is who you were. This is where God's leading you. And now I want to talk about Jesus. Jesus is God. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the one who made everything. He is, he is the one, when you see him, you see God. He is the head of the church. Don't look at any other human being. He leads us. He's our guide. He's our author. He's our pioneer. And he is the fullness of God. And Tim led us deep into that conversation. And you need to take in that when you see Jesus, you see God. And then today we go, well, what's the point? Why are we talking about joy, Greg? This, why are we talking about worship? This doesn't make any sense except for the fact that I kind of left this out, saving it for this moment. What you've been looking at is actually an ancient Christian hymn. It's very likely either Paul penned this hymn or he knew the hymn and he wrote it into this document because hymns and music is one of the ways that we learn about God, isn't it? I mean, you probably have memorized more lyrics to songs than you have scriptures in the Bible. And so Paul, knowing the connection between music, emotion, and truth, drew in this hymn to say, guys, you know this hymn. He's, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. They're probably maybe humming this song. They know it. This is an exciting worship-filled passage that is supposed to stir the emotions and call forth praise. The reason I know that is because he gives us this final summation of the work of Jesus. And I can't help but tell you it is four ingredients to everything that brings about worship in our hearts. And so I want to introduce you guys. I want to show you these four ingredients coming as we close out this look at Jesus, this snow filter, preparing us for our Easter season. So grab your Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. If you want to say amen and stuff during the service, this is the right one to do it. We flipped it so that we would have this and respond in worship. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so right here, if you're in Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, it begins like this. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all the creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we see right here in, in verse 21, the first ingredient, and this is a look at our unfiltered past. If you want to start praising Jesus Christ, if you want to have a deep well of praise for Jesus, you have to start with your past. See, verse 21 reads like this. It says, and you who once, say that word with me, were, say were, were, were. This, this is response time. And the word were is important. You want to circle it because in the Bible, it's telling you what was in the past. This is who we were. This isn't who you are. Now, some of you may not know Jesus Christ. You may be here checking out church, checking things out. You're invited. And this may actually be something that's present for you because you have yet to receive what Jesus Christ did. And I hope that today you'll do an examination. You'll take a look at yourself because the description that it's going to give you is actually a description of our natural state before God as human beings. 
And I'll kind of unpack that. But he begins with this thing that, and you who once were alienated. Man, what a word. Is that not a word of our time? Alienated? Man, everybody feels alienated from everybody right now. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can be African-American, you feel alienated. White, you feel alienated. Hispanic, you feel alienated. You could be Republican, you feel alienated. Democrat, you feel alienated. Christian, you feel alienated. Millennial, you always feel alienated. I'm just kidding. I got to pick on you guys once in a while. It's fun. No, no, no. But we do. There's a sense of alienation. Like everybody's out to get me. I feel separated from people. I don't feel integrated into the world. What's going on? This word alienation has some deep emotional connection to it. In fact, I, I think of this, uh, a word that, that reminds me of a story or something that happened to me back in high school. I was a junior in high school. I was playing on the basketball team. So I had a little bit of time where I'd play on the court once in a great while, as I shared once before. And there was this, this girl who was watching the games. And for some reason, she thought I looked cute sitting on the bench or something. I don't know. And, and she writes me this letter and gives it to me. And I'm like, I get it one day and I'm like opening and going like, yeah, I think I'd love to talk to you more. I really think you're da, 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 da. I'm like, this is to the wrong person. So I, I folded it up. I set it aside, had her phone number on it. I thought about, okay, I'll call her at some point. But at the time, I really liked this other girl that I was trying to get her attention and, and hopefully get a date with her or go to winter formal or something like that. And so I was pursuing this, this conversation and this path over here. And she's like, hey, I want to I wanna go on a date with you. This would be awesome. And I'm not used to that kind of thing. And I was like, so I called her up and we were starting to talk. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't think so. I got this other girl I was kind of interested in. That was stupid. So it's just, you don't do that in high school. Because here's what happened after that. Not only did I hurt her feelings, not only did I shut things down, not only did I not even give it a chance, you know, I was telling her, this girl's more important than you. Uh, this one's more interesting to me than you are. And so you're walking down the hallway and you have this girl you've just spurned. And I'd be like, oh, here she comes. I'm going this way. You know, we'd sit in class and you just feel the daggers over your shoes. Like, <laughs> I feel uncomfortable. That's alienation. I alienated her. She, she felt uncomfortable. I felt the discomfort. There was a sudden disconnect in the relationship, a separation, a distance that was very uncomfortable. You couldn't be at home when the two of us were in the same location. But this is a great illustration of how it works with God. You know, God made you. He could have made any human being he wanted. He could have populated this time and this earth with any humans that he wanted, but he chose that you would be here now. He chose that you would exist at this time. He made you in his image. You're not just an animal. He made you a spiritual being to connect with God and know God. And he came and he said, I want a relationship with you. And you know what we said? We said, that's awesome and all, but I really want to be rich. That, that's great and all, but I'd rather be famous. Oh, that's really cool, but this spiritual idea is really neat and I want to, I want to look at it. And so there was, there's this sense that where God's saying, I want this relationship, we're saying, nah, I really want this one. I really, you're, you're, yeah, and that's nice. And there's now alienation. You go before God. Do you guys remember the alienation? Do you remember the discomfort of trying to approach God? Man, I do. Every night I would go to bed, I would talk to God, but every single prayer was, God, please forgive me for this, 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 and this, because I couldn't feel comfortable talking to God. Because all I felt was my sin. All I felt was the distance. All I felt was this sense of, of angst. And, this, and, and I misunderstood God. The alienation comes out. Guys, I've talked to a lot of ex-Christians. 
And I've talked to a lot of people, just stopped going to church. And I love this conversation because I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor. I'd love to know why'd you stop going to church? What happened for you? What was it about church? And you know, invariably, it never is totally about the church unless they were hurt by somebody. But oftentimes, it just lands on the simple fact that they ask this question. They're like, how do you really know that that's the real God? What an amazing question. You know why it's amazing? Because that's the kind of question somebody alienated from God would ask. When you can't know God, you wonder if that God exists. When you can't know God, you wonder what God exists. It shows you don't have a relationship with God. But you know what's crazy for me is I have a relationship with God. I don't ask that question. I know that I know God. You know that you know God. You know that this is the God who speaks to you in the word, who you talk to in prayer, who answers your prayer, who relates to you. This is the God you know is God. And no other religion can say this. No other religion has a relationship with God the way Christians do. It's one of the hallmarks in missions. And when people say, how do you really know that this is the right God? I go, ah, you would ask that because you don't know him. You ask that because there's this separation, this alienation from God. Not only does it say that we're alienated, and if you can remember that, you can remember that time period. Even if you were born in the church, by the way, you're not born a Christian. You're born in the church, but you weren't born a Christian, right? Amen? You all understand that one? No, you, those kids in that nursery ain't Christians yet. They got to make a decision to follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that God's not going to love them, stuff like that, the whole other issue. But you're not born a Christian. You have to make that choice. And you have to come to Christ. He's going to save you. Now, here's the, weird, here's the thing. You were alienated. You can go back and remember that. There's a time where God was distant. And you had, he had to come into your life. He had to move in to your life. And there's this place. But the second thing is that Paul says, hey, you not only were you alienated, you're hostile in mind doing evil deeds. You were against God and you were doing evil things. And this is hard because I get it. We're like, I'm not against God, especially as Americans, man. We believe in God. But here's the funny thing. We still ask that question. Well, which God is it really? I believe lots of things about God. I believe lots of things about God and who God is. I know who God is. I got this. And man, I'm a pastor, so I get it. I get lots of people who tell me who God really is and how what I'm talking about from the Bible, oh, that's not necessarily right. You don't really know God. And I get it. And there's a lot of this conversation. What's interesting is that there's this hostility towards the idea that God would explain himself and they know better than God does about explaining himself. Now, think about that for a minute. How would that work in your marriage? Go to your spouse and tell them, you know what? You've been lying to me. Everything you've been showing me, I really know who you are. You're this and this and this and this. And, this. and they're like, I'm not like that. Yes, you are. I know you better than you know you. Anybody think a fight would happen in your marriage or in your family? I, I, try it with your teenager. It might be fun. But that's not going to work well. That's not how you have a relationship. That's hostility. That is the ability for you to say, I really know what you're like, God. Sure, explain yourself. You can't do that. Wow. Does anybody hear how arrogant that and weird that is? And Paul says, this is hostility. You know what this sounds like to me? Bigotry. When you examine bigotry, what happens with a bigot is you can explain how that people group that they're bigoted against are kind and they do good things and they're human beings and they're, and they're made in the image of God and you can lay out all this stuff, but their racism or their bigotry disables them from being able to hear the truth because they believe it and they know better than you do. Really, honestly, when we try to claim what God is against what he says he is, we're just bigoted against God and we're hostile to God. 
And we're in a really crazy position because that just leads to us doing whatever we want. And there's all kinds of evil that we do. And you're like, I don't do evil. But this is really, remember where you were. Do you remember back there when you were doing those things? Do you remember the evil deeds that we would produce out of our hearts and our lives? I mean, yeah, they're still here. But how many more there was? Just the road we were traveling? I mean, I remember, I see it. I can recall these, these, these evil deeds. The fact that I was worshiping another God, I was breaking the first commandment and the second because I had something more to God. And then I was breaking the third because I'd claim I was a Christian in some ways, even though I wasn't. Not to be a warning to anybody here who's pretending they're a Christian and forming your own religion behind it. You're breaking one, two, and three of the commandments. That's the evil deeds. And sure, maybe you've, maybe you've never murdered anybody. Thank God. And sure, maybe you've never had a, had a situation where you, you've committed an affair. And, and I get it. You never lied, liar, right? It's like, obviously, we've broken these commands. Nobody here is perfect. All of us have, have been destroyed by the evil deeds. And, and this is where we were. And you have to remember and look at these things and be able to boldly look at these things, guys. I don't want you to ignore them because without this, there's no foundation for your praise of God. There's no foundation for praise of Jesus because unless we see the bad and understand where we were, we won't understand how great of a job he did at bringing us where we'll be. And yet what we need to do is stop in the middle and see the God, what Jesus has done, his unfiltered present work. Lotus, as we go on in, in verse 2, or 22, sorry, he says, he, so we were the ones alienated, and he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death. He has brought us together. He's reconciled us. In fact, it said in the previous verse that Tim had reconciled all things, and he does that through us because he's reconciled us. And if you're a child of divorce, you know how powerful the word reconciliation is. If you have been through a divorce, you know how powerful reconciliation and how miraculous it would be. Because when you're a child of divorce, what occurs is there is a tearing of your soul, which made you, you are made by these two people and their commitment. And you as a child now feel that your soul has been torn into two different directions and it hurts and it's confusing. And some of you remember the drop off, the kiss from mom and the curse towards dad to get in the car with dad, to get a kiss from dad and a curse towards mom. And you felt like all you were was a pawn in the middle. And you stretched between two various opinions and two various ways of living. And it just is destructive. You're alienated. And how crazy is it as some of you have had the experience of watching two people gather back together and not just be reconciled, but literally become one again. Literally watch that relationship work unto the fruition and beauty of God. That is miraculous. And the world stands back and goes, how in the world did that happen? Because when you're alienated, reconciliation is so ridiculous and yet it occurs. And this is exactly what Jesus did with us and God. When Jesus came to this earth, what he did is he took that alienation and he united it through the work on the cross. What we'll celebrate Friday is the fact that on the cross, Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body. He sat there and hung on that cross bearing not just physical pain, but the spiritual wrath that God had designed and put down for every single evil that we have committed. That frightens me and concerns me and overwhelms me to know that on the cross, I, I still really think that Jesus saw my sins. 
He saw those things that we've done. He saw those, those lies. He saw our motivations. He, in some way, in the spiritual realm, took in the whole mass of our sinfulness. Every single time you clicked on that site, every single time you had that hateful thought, every single lie you threw down, every drug abuse you've done to your body, every single thing we've ever done to ourselves and to others and to God flooded into his mind as God punished every single one. And he was willing to bear it because what he was after was bringing us close to God. And what separated us was our evil deeds and our hostile mind. And he took our hostility and he bore our evil deeds and he unified us with God. And that's why all that has to be received is God's work for you. You don't add anything to your salvation. Save the sin that brought you to need it. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. It's amazing grace that you've been given by a God who designed you, made you, and loved you so much. He gave his son to bear your sin, to be punished for you, to get in the way so that you might have a relationship with him, to be reconciled. And it's even more than that, guys. God didn't just simply go, here's Jesus so I can forgive you. Good job. Okay, see you later. No, 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 no. There's a bigger purpose, which leads to a higher praise. And that is the future destination of the unfiltered future aim that Jesus has. We find that also here in verse 22. And this is our third ingredient to begin to present the praise of God. Verse 22 begins this, or the end of verse 22 begins this way. So he's reconciled in his body, us, by, the, by his death. Why? In order to present you holy. Woohoo! Why aren't you guys cheering with me? Come on, holy, we can be holy. I know why you're not cheering with me. Because holy is not a cheering word, right? Holy is a word that you use when you stand upright. You keep your spine erect. You wear a frock on your collar. And you make sure everyone knows that you are the holy man. In fact, you have to be expert at this very accent to be holy. Because as holy people, we know that you are just ordinary sinners. That's what we think holy is. If you don't think that's holy, holy is this thing called boredom. You don't get to do anything because you got to be holy. I can't go to a party. I can't dance. I can't drink. I can't chew. And I cannot go with girls who do. This is just stinky. I get it, God. Holy means I don't enjoy life. That's what the world will tell you. It's a satanic lie. Produced by the very enemy to catch you in not experiencing the joy that is found in you being holy. I'll give you an illustration of what holy means here for a minute. Imagine with me that we're a bunch of people wandering around in a desert. That's weird. And even weirder is you're following a big cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and your leader's name is Moses. All right, we're the Israelites. We've just heard God speak from the mountain. Freaked us out so much, we're like, can you go talk to God? We told Moses that. Moses goes up there, talks to God, comes down with Ten Commandments. We're dancing around, having a horrible, a horrible party around an idol. And, and all this wrath comes out and all this stuff happens. And he throws down the Ten Commandments, not 15, it was 10. And so then he marched back up, gets more, comes down. He says, guys, God told me we're going to do something. What's that, Moses? We're going to build a tent. And we're like, yeah, building a tent. It's going to be God's tent, but we're going to build a tent. 
We donate all this stuff and these craftsmen start working on stuff and there's this beautiful Ark of the Covenant that's created, this beautiful altar and all of these fine linens and things are hanging and we're just like, this is beautiful. And all these guys, normal guys like you and me, start setting this tent up. I can imagine it right now. You got Aaron's little kids running through it like PKs. Wee, look, I'm inside the Holy of Holies. You know, running around and doing stuff you shouldn't do in this tent. Because guess what? It's just a tent. It's an ordinary tent. Why not treat it like your tent or my tent or the other guy's tent? It's just a tent. Until they take an entire week. And during this entire week, they sacrifice animals and they pray and they anoint people and they anoint this tent with all this oil and this blood. And what was once just a normal doTERRA air filter, air diffuser, we, they called it an incense burner. But you know, the same thing. They, what was once just ordinary now became holy because they anointed it and blessed it. And God said, that's mine. It's mine. That tent, Mine. That altar, mine. These men who I have called to work in it, mine. And if you don't treat it like mine, for my purposes, then it's not going to go well for you. Because it's mine. And when the second God said it's mine, it became holy. See, holiness is a word of purpose. Holiness is the word that if we ignore it, we lose our purpose. Because when happens is when God says it's mine, it becomes his for his purpose. That censer, which could have been in anybody's home, smoking, burning whatever needed to be to get the smell out of the room because people smelled back then, was now God's holy censer. It was his to be used only as he instructed because it was his he said, it's mine. That's my altar. That's my covenant. That's my holy of holies. Don't go running around like little kids in the room. It's mine. Get this. He's made in order to present you holy. He said, you are mine. I have a purpose for you. I have a reason that I have you with me. You're mine. You're not just an ordinary human being. When Jesus Christ saved you, when you came to know him and you received what he gave you, you became God's and you are no longer ordinary. You are holy. You're God's. And he says, you're mine, which gives you a specific purpose. Why do we send the gospel to the world? Why do we go to nations that have never heard about Jesus? Because you're his and that's his purpose. Why is it that you and I should love our neighbors as ourselves? Well, because it's a nice thing to do and it's what's right. No, it's because you're holy and God said you're mine. And that means you have the purpose and the mission to send his love out. That's why Jesus said, love others as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're mine. Here's your mission. Here's your purpose. Why do we fight for justice? Why do we try to defeat Abortion. Why do we try to overcome euthanasia? Why do we deal with the sex slave trade? Why do we try to overcome racism and all the messes this world creates in injustice? Because God called us to represent his justice because we're his. You're holy. All right, give me, give me a hand. Help me out, all my Hispanic and African-American family. Let's, let's do this. Okay, white guys, we got to get in this. Because this is good. This is the fountain of our praise. We were alienated from God, separated from him. He has reconciled us in his death on the cross to make you holy and blameless above reproach. Ooh, I don't feel blameless or above reproach. Maybe that's the problem. Because to be quite honest, this has been a really, really bad weekend for me. 
I mean, all week I've been, just to be quite honest, I've been probably a smoldering um, furnace of just anger. Um, I can talk to my wife about it later. This is my confession for the moment. But uh, man, I've been a mess, just ready to bite my children's head off, ready to fight with my wife in any little thing, just just a grumpy, just... That's not safe for my wife to tell me something she's observed in my, in my heart, in my life, but she, she was brave enough to sit down and kind of look at me and say, hey, look, I see some things in your sons that I'm worried about. And I was like, I don't really want to hear this. And man, I kind of give him the pushback. She's like, no, no, no. Uh, why I need to tell you this is because I see it in you. You know, you, you're not taking responsibility for the things you should be taking responsibility for. I don't see that you have a plan. You seem to just want to push it. And just, she just nailed me. And I'm just like, and I think I would have bit her head off if it hadn't been for the Lord poking me in the chest. No, I'm not. I'm a mess, guys. That's why you, that's why you praise Jesus, not the pastor. Amen. And guess what? All I am is the equipment guy. I just hand out the equipment, teach you how to use it. It makes you guys the quarterbacks. I'm the water boy. I'm rooting you on. Go for it. Get it done. But the bottom line is that the only reason I feel like I could preach today, the only reason I feel like I could get up and do anything any, any day of the week is because when I stand before God, I don't stand on my own. You see, I want you to get, get this. This may not happen, but this is kind of the picture that I picture. You and I are standing there. We've just died, and it's time for our judgment. We're going to stand before Jesus, and we're, or we're going to stand before the Father, and he's going to go, here's what you did wrong, every single thing you ever did, why you did it, and how wicked you were in doing it. And we go, Ugh. And it's represented by what you're wearing. And you look down and you got this moth-eaten, nasty robe covered with blood and feces and pee. And you're like, I'm going to give this to God? And you're like trying to get it off and it won't come off. And you're just like, there's no seam and this thing is stuck. And oh, man. And you're like, your name gets called, Greg. And I'm like, oh. And I take a step forward and suddenly I look over and there's just like, brother, come here. But my name is, come here. What? And he goes, get this thing off you, and pulls it off. And I'm like, how'd you do that? And he goes, here, take mine, throws his robe on me, and goes, get in there. And now God looks at me, and he goes, I don't see anything wrong. Because it's not my righteousness I walk in with. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ you walk in with. The gift what Jesus did on the cross is give you all of his good for all the evil you traded with him. And he said, here's mine. And you go in there, and God says, all I see is my son. And it's beautiful and it's good. Come on in. And so you stand blameless and above reproach before him. Which means you have access to God in prayer. You have access to God through the word. You can know him. You do not have to fear he will crush you. It's not a matter of going like, I'm such a miserable sinner. You've always been a miserable sinner. But now in Jesus Christ, you are blameless and above reproach and holy. And it's time to live that way and let our praise ring because he has made us this way. Now, I got to warn you because there's a big word that's coming in the text. It's one of the largest, heaviest words you're ever going to read in the Bible. I mean, I can't tell you how large it is, but it points to the fourth ingredient to our praise. And look down at verse 23. The first word, that big, heavy-handed word is if. If. Whoever thought a two-letter word would be so scary? 
And I'm not going to get into once saved, always saved, and all this stuff. No, it's, that's not my point. My point is look at the text. Remember, these are the Colossians here. These guys are struggling with this really charismatic preacher who's telling them all about how they can see God. And if they worship these angels rightly and do these Sabbath rules and eat only these certain things and make sure they go through these mystery rites, hey, you will have a presence of God. And Paul's like, it's ridiculous. You can see God by looking at Jesus. You've already been brought near to God through Jesus. You have the presence before him. You're blameless. You're holy. You don't need all this other junk. You don't need the rules and all the things and the, and the bowing and the incense. No, no, no. Jesus is all you need. If, he says, indeed, you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. What is it? The last one is our future relationship with Christ. From this day forward, how will we live with Jesus? How will we move forward from here? If you'll stay with him. You see, I have done youth, I did youth ministry and I've done, I've been preaching for 15 years. 18 years, whoa. And here's the trippy thing. I have watched plenty of friends and plenty of students and plenty of adults go from, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm going to learn more about Jesus. And they start reading and reading and reading and reading. And they go, wow, Jesus is so awesome. As taught by this particular guy. Oh, man, that particular guy is so awesome. That guy's awesome. All the rest of you guys are liars. This guy's awesome. Until somebody shows them that guy's wrong. They go, oh, no, that guy's awesome. And they've awesomed themselves out of the faith. Because they started turning pastors and theologians and teachers into Jesus. I'm not, I have nothing wrong with theologians. I love theology. If you know me, I, I eat it. It's like, my, it's like candy for me. I love being into theology. I love being into teachers and the word. I, I love it. But, you know, the danger is to turn your favorite theologian, your favorite pastor, your favorite person into Jesus. Guys, there's nobody but Jesus, who can be Jesus. We cannot substitute Jesus for another person. You will lose your faith. You cannot substitute it for cultural norms. You will lose your faith. You cannot substitute it for a half holiness. You will lose your faith. You gotta be after Jesus. He has expressed himself and shown us who he is in the word of God. He is here. He is present. His very spirit dwells in you. He is the head of the church. Therefore, we gather in his church to be together with his people, to be used by him because you're holy. But you keep your focus on Jesus. You want to see God. You want to grow up in your faith. Focus on Jesus. And you will stay stable you will be firm and unshifting in the hope of the gospel that you heard. Hey, we've gone full circle. If you want to go back to our previous series called Leaving Neverland, you will land on a, the last sermon where we try to remind us that, guys, you want to grow in your faith. What you need to remember is the hope of the gospel. That the gospel hope is that opportunity for us to see that Jesus has died and rose from the dead. And in that you and I are not only made holy, are not only blameless, are not only standing without 
any rebuke before God, we also are going to be resurrected. We're going to have no sickness, no sin, no death, no pain, no mourning. It's yours. That's the hope because Jesus rose from the dead. And on next Sunday, we're going to shout, he is risen. And we're going to shout back, he is risen indeed. Amen. Because our Lord Jesus is alive and he has saved you and he has brought you into his kingdom. This is the foundation and the fountain of our worship and praise. And so no wonder on that Palm Sunday, they stood on the streets and they shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to the King of David. And they stripped their clothes off and the kids were like, Jesus, Jesus. And the Pharisees were like, you don't do that. And we're not going to be the Pharisees because if they didn't do it, the rocks would do it. The creation would sing and shout and scream at the coming of the one Messiah who would die on the cross to bear our sins. And so today we're going to shout Hosanna. But you know what? We don't use it in the same way. Their Hosanna means save now. Our Hosanna means praise be to the king in the highest of praise because he's already saved. Amen. He saved you and he saved me. And if he hasn't saved you yet, he is available right now. It is a free gift to you. All you but, but do is receive it. This is how much God loves you. And he gives you that purpose. And that purpose turns into praise. And so church, we're going to praise him. We're going to praise him right now. Stand up with me. And let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, God, you would come as a human being, that you would love us in such a way that though we were alienated from you, though we were filled with hostility towards you, though we had horrible evil deeds that we had done, you loved us anyway. You reconciled us. You brought us near. And Jesus, you made us clean. You made us holy. You've given us a purpose You've made us sinless that we would stand before you because we wear your righteousness. And so, God, we cry out Hosanna to you. Hosanna to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to the God of gods. And we lift you up now in that name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen. Let's sing.